0: Are going to come forward. Let's give out how God is given to us. Uh, two weeks from now is our fall kickoff. That's our big Invitation Sunday to the community. Uh, every Sunday for everybody else is Invitation Sunday because Sundays are always awesome here. Uh, but this one has a lot more tri-tip than an actual, like an average Sunday does. Uh, so one of the things that we need to make that Sunday happen is a lot of help from a lot of people just like you. Uh, if you were going to get involved with either setup, serving, or cleanup, uh, you can either fill out the white paper that you were given as you walked in, or you can text the number on the screen, uh, and we would love to put you in a place where you can serve and, and uh, get involved with making that meal an awesome meal. Uh, today is week two of Connection Sunday. This is our like full court press to open up as many life groups as possible. Life groups are groups uh, between six and 30 people who are following Jesus uh, around one specific thing. Uh, so we're, we've got four rebuilding groups, which is what we're gonna highlight today. We've got lots of other groups that do other stuff. Uh, like for example, we've got a shape group. Shape is our church's Bible reading and journaling program where we read the Bible, stuff that God was written uh, thousands of years ago. And we talk about how it hits us today because God knows what went on then and knows what's going on in us now. And he's like, I wanna work on that thing and that person. Uh, so God will bring out something from the Bible and impact us today. Uh, we've got groups for men, we've got groups for women, and we've also got a shape group for first responders. First responders are people who show up on everybody else's worst day, uh, and then they carry a lot of that weight home with them because somebody else's worst day is there every day. Uh, so we've got a group specifically for that, which I'm really excited about, and you can sign up for all this stuff as you head out. We've got women's groups, we've got men's groups, we've got family groups, we've got whatever groups you want. Uh, I'm excited for those. And like I said, we've got four rebuilding groups. One of those is a women's fitness group uh, that is going to be led by two of our vocalists on stage. They were both wearing the same shirt as me. Uh, you can sign up for that as you head out. Uh, the other one is uh, Financial Peace, which uh, is led by Brooke Swanson, one of uh, our key leaders here. And you can sign up for that. That is rebuilding your finances and making sense of the mess that that might have turned into because all of us have a pulse and like to spend money. Uh, so you can sign up for that as you head out. And the other two we're going to talk about today, uh, because what we're going to look at in as in our in looking at God's word as we finish the book of Ob- Obadiah, which is the smallest book in the Old Testament, it's got a really big point. And the point that we're going to look at today is about God's heart for the rebuilding effort that is you and me all right? We bring to God lots of areas that need to be rebuilt in our lives. And what God does without exception is he looks at us and says, okay, that's an area where I want to get involved. That's a person I want to get involved in. Because for all of us, all of our life following Jesus, if you're new here and you've got no clue of who Jesus is, or if this has been like your, your mission on life, your soul dedication for decades, for everything, for all of us, following jesus can be boiled down to one statement that is rebuilding that all of a christian's life is rebuilding from the moment we decide i'm following following jesus until the moment that we die it's a rebuilding process it's putting jesus in charge of our life because he did what we could not do to buy that relationship between us and god and then pulling us to be more and like more and more like god every day of our lives and I saw a great example this morning as I was driving in. Uh, so we get here ridiculously early. Me, Pastor Tim, Pastor Greg, we're here at 530 uh, before they open the gates for us to have everything at the door to roll in all the church stuff. If you're looking for an area to serve that will cost you something, we'd love to set up uh, help, but also tear down help right now because it's supposed to be 104 degrees in the afternoon. That's going to hurt too. So if you want to give God, hey, man, I worked hard today, tear down in 104, that, that's worth it. Uh, but, but I'm driving down Peach Avenue to get here, if I'm here at 5.30, that means I'm there at like 5.25, which is like an ungodly early hour in the morning. Uh, and I pull up to Peach and Tulare. And you know some cars, you can just hear them before they get to you. And that's either a really good sound or a really bad sound, like depending on the sound of the car. Uh, and I heard a really good sound. I hear the car pull up to me. I glance over next to it. And it is a Dodge Charger, like Signal Red. It is amazing-looking car. I really like Dodges. I like the way that they sound. I own a Dodge. Minivan. So uh, when, when I, <clears throat> I'm looking at this car, it's 525 in the morning. And the guy is already revving his engine at 525, which means he started really early or he's still going really late. Uh, and, and the light turns green and he doesn't move. Maybe he's looking at his phone. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, this is my chance. Now, the thing is, is I drive a 2006 Saturn, which is older than all three of my kids, uh, that has four cylinders and about 165,000 miles. If you don't know anything about cars, this is basically Usain Bolt racing a toddler, all right? And I got the toddler. So light turns green. He doesn't move. I floor it, okay? And all four of those cylinders are like, okay, fine. And I make it to the other side of the intersection before him, which in my book is like, I win. And then I heard the beast. It began to get louder and louder. And then I saw this shape of red blast past me uh, into the dark of the night at 530 in the morning, heading very quickly unlaw-abidedly fast, uh, towards King Canyon and Peach. And so I'm like, oh, okay, the light is red. Let's see what happens round two. And so I get up next to him again, and he changes lanes, and now he's next to a Jeep, and I'm just behind him, and this is boring for me. Uh, But that picture, that idea of somebody else is ahead of me, I'm going to go get them, that's kind of how it is following Jesus. Okay, God has a standard of holiness laid out before every one of us, where God looks at it and says, this is The way that I've created you to live, this is the life that I've designed for you. But instead of saying, that's a Saturn ahead of me, I need to get ahead of them. God calls us and God pulls us towards him, leaving our own life, leaving a state of zero acceleration out of kindness and love. Not not something out of, you are not living the life you're supposed to, you have to catch up, you have to get ahead of that car. But instead of, of fear and guilt and anger pushing us, God's book says it's kindness that draws us out. It's kindness from God that begins that rebuilding process in all of us. And so today what we're going to look at is responding to the kindness of God. That at first doesn't look like kindness, but in the end it is the incredible, unstoppable love of God that as we sing saying about loves us too much to leave us here. And, and Obadiah t- starts about it starts with it in in a backwards way, in a dark way, in a way that we wouldn't look at and see a whole lot of light, but God brings light to it. And so Obadiah 15, uh, it says this, it says, "...the day is near when I, the Lord, will judge all godless nations. As you have done to Israel, which is God's people, so it will be done to you. All your evil deeds will fall back on your own heads." That's a really dark way of saying it. There's a, there's a writer in the New Testament, which is the life of the period after, it's the life of Jesus and then a few years after that says it in a more, in a more beneficial way. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. For all of us, God's justice requires that we harvest what we plant. When we we sow bad ideas, when we sow things in our lives and in other people's lives that hurt them, that hurt ourselves, that hurt God, what that's going to do is that's going to harvest bad things. It's going to harvest separation between us and God. And we are so excited about this separation when it happens to someone else. When people have offended us, when people have abused us, when people have said mean things about us, we can't wait for the times when that happens to them. But the thing about God's justice is that sometimes it's going to happen to us. Now, hear me on this, okay? There are times in our lives where we have done things in our past, and we pray for crop failure on those. We pray that the way that we have led our families, the way that we have treated our parents, our jobs, uh, our friends, all that stuff, we come to God, we realize, man, God, what I did was wrong. I don't want to harvest those things. I want to pray for crop failure. And there are times when in the grace and the mercy of God, we get to see crop failure. We don't get to see the things that we have planned or the things that we have stacked up falling down on our heads. Instead, we get to see God's grace and mercy sparing us from the things that we deserve. When it does happen to other people, we're like, "Yes, this is good. They deserve that." Uh, Anna was at a baby shower last week. Uh, I was not because I am smart and uh, and thankfully uninvited. And there, there was a, there was the wife there of a guy that I went to college with. Uh, and this guy didn't have the greatest reputation. I lived with him for a year, so it wasn't just a reputation; like it was fact because I was there and stuff. Uh, and so she comes home and she's like, "Hey, such and such's wife was there." I'm like, "Wow." She has a hard life because that guy is a loser. Like, I can't, I mean, can't imagine that he's the same person he was in college. So, man, that, we should pray for her. We should, like, I don't know, like, take an offering or something because that guy is crazy. So she said, yeah, we, we actually talked about you. I'm like, oh, dang. <laughs> Just don't say anything else. She said, yeah, uh, I said I'm married to Ken Wilkinson. He, he lived with, with your husband. And she says, I know all about Ken. He dated my roommate. I know all. I know too much about him. Time out, okay? This was 2001. You know what else happened in 2001 in New York and Washington and stuff? That was toward the end of the year. This was the beginning of the year. This is six months older than that. You think of all the change that has happened in you since March of 2001? It would be totally unfair for somebody to judge you for what you did in 2001. Some of you weren't even potty trained in March of 2001. Thank God you're better than you were back then but there's no way that anybody would judge me that way because I have grown so much since March of 2001. Definitely not this guy, but I've grown, and I am a different person. Him, totally the same, but me, I'm different. God's saying that's not how it is. If you're going to judge anyone from 2001, we're going to judge everyone from 2001, and I'm not like that. God says I'm not like that. There are going to be times where you harvest what you plant. There are going to be times when you experience crop failure, which is the the blessing from Jesus. But God's justice, what it does is it reminds us that we will harvest what we plant. And what God did was God came to pull us out of that. To make a way for a holy God to be in a relationship with an unholy people, which is us. And God's holiness reminds us that we're all sinners who have fallen short of God's perfection. It reminds us that we're part of this. Okay, we read that verse at the beginning of Obadiah, that there's going to be a group of people where all their bad things falls on their heads. And then we look at our own life and realize that group of people, that us and them, you know, because they're bad and they deserve bad things, like that also extends to us. I love to say there's two types of people in the world. There's Jesus and there's bad people. Guess which one we fall into? God's holiness reminds us that we're all sinners who have fallen short of God's perfection. It reminds us of that on a personal level, but also on a spiritual level. Galatians 6.8, we're going to be bouncing back and forth between these two books. It says, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. As we hurt people, as we hurt ourselves, as we hurt God, we're living out the harvest of our sinful nature. And God takes judgment from that personally because God is the defender of the oppressed. As we hurt people who cannot defend themselves, sometimes it's us, sometimes it's other people. What God does is God comes in as the champion of the oppressed, as the defender of the oppressed. And sometimes that means that, that our sin is exposed and what that does is it pushes us to Jesus. For us as Christians, that's why the cross is so huge. If you're a Christian, you know this is true because that's what caught your heart for God. If you're not a Christian, this explains everything about who we are, that the cross is where our offenses against God were dealt with, not by us, because that would kill us, but by God who laid down his life, who took the death penalty that we deserve so we could have the eternal life with God that God deserved that we didn't deserve. It's an incredible gift. It's an incredible invitation. It's an incredible uh, accurate judge of who we are in light of who holy God is. And what God does is he steps into our sinful nature. He harvests life where we should have harvested death. One of the rebuilding groups is Alpha. Uh, Alpha is great at rebuilding because it exposes a lot of the questions that we have about God, about Christianity, and it answers them with food and childcare. So that's a perfect answer for me. Uh, And it answers them in community. Uh, We've got a video right now of somebody who did Alpha last year, and it completely revolutionized their life. Uh, Let's play.
1: Hey, my name is Wes. Uh, I did the Alpha course a year ago, and... Towards the end of it, I gave my life to Christ. Alpha helped me make the decision to follow Jesus by uh, just providing a lot of answers. I had a lot of questions um, prior to even starting to go to church. and just I would speak a lot with my cousins or relatives that were Christians, and uh, just coming to Alpha, I received a lot of more precise, thorough, detailed answers. And that really helped me to follow Christ more easily. So my first fears of uh, Alpha was just basically the people that were going to be there, being knowing that I'd be in a, a group of people discussing um, different things. Didn't know how vulnerable I could be with them. Um, and what really helps me kind of overcome that was just seeing how, how open everybody was. They were able to share really deep things about themselves. And so it allowed me to share more about myself. And the way people reacted to what I said, it just made me feel more comfortable. It let me know that I was accepted. and that I can accept other people. Yeah, one was just learning about Jesus and um, all the things he's done for us. Another takeaway was uh, just the interesting facts that I never knew were that existed about Jesus and the things that he did. Um, I knew that he did some things, but I didn't know there was actually tangible evidence. And so being able to be presented with those things through Alpha, it was nice. Um, another big takeaway was just the just the different ways a person can connect with God and how they could build a relationship with Him. Yeah, those are my three biggest takeaways. People should look forward to finding out new information that they didn't, they didn't even think about learning. Because uh, Alpha is filled with so much content and information and detail that I never even thought to ask some of the questions that I got answered. Jump in, uh, give it a shot. Uh, be open with yourself, uh, allow yourself to be genuine because other people will see that genuineness and just reciprocate it back to you and you will be able to be open with each other.
0: Right on, so you can sign up for that as soon as you walk outside today. It's the table right, front, and center. Uh it says Alpha. Uh, and uh, it's going to be good. So thirdly, God's mercy exposes our sin and leads us in how to deal with it. God's mercy exposes our sin, and then it leads us in how to deal with it. Obadiah, verse 17, but Jerusalem, which is like the capital city for God's people, Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. He's saying the way that you deal with it is by finding your refuge. God is saying finding your refuge in me, And, and refuge, if we're putting our refuge in something, that means that there's something else worse out there. We put our refuge in God, we put that in a relationship with God. It means the thing out there is the wrath of God, the thing that all of us rightly deserve because of the things that we've planted, the way that we've treated people. We're putting our refuge in God, we're saying that God is going to pay for the punishment that we deserve with his own life. And we're not brought into that refuge as debtors. We're not brought into that refuge as people who just barely made it. We're brought in, get this, as sons and daughters. We're brought in as people who belong there. It's a the song that we sang is that I was found before I was lost. God saw you from the moment you were born, watched you through all the decisions that you've made, including the decision to come to him if you've made that yet. And he said, I want that person. They're not a mistake. They're not a reject. They're not a, they don't belong. They're a son and they're a daughter. In shape this morning, we read a great story about what that looks like. Uh, Jesus is trying to explain God's love, and so he tells people a story to, to get their heads around what it looks like to be loved by God. And so he tells a story about two sons, and one of them really didn't like dad. And so he said, Dad, I'm not even gonna wait for you to be dead. I wish you were dead now. I want my inheritance. I'm going on vacation. So the dad says, Okay, here's, here's my money. Go. Uh, and so, so the son leaves, and he spends all the money really quickly. And around the time that his money runs out, a famine hits the land where he's staying, and all of a sudden there's no jobs, there's no food anywhere. And so the son realizes, man, my only option is to go back to my dad and beg to be taken on as a slave. Can't be a son anymore because I, I've lost that. I beg to be taken on as a slave. And so the, the son is walking home, uh, and his dad sees him from a far away off. And the dad comes running to him so he can punch him in the face. No, 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 that's not how Jesus' story goes, but that's what the kid's expecting. And so he gets up to, to his dad, and he says, Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I no longer deserve to be called your son. And the dad stops him. And he calls his servants and he says, get a robe for him to wear. Get sandals for his feet. Get the family ring to put back on his finger. Kill the calf that we've been getting ready because tri-tip is good for everyone. Uh, And we're going to have a party because my son, not the loser, not the bum, not the reject, not the disappointment. My son is back. And God's saying, that's the picture of of my, my heart for you. Jerusalem become a refuge for those who escape. We get taken back as sons and daughters when we return to God. And it will be, next, next line, it will be a holy place. I, got, like, I was studying that this week, and the first time like, I looked over it, it was like, yeah, it's a holy place because God's there. But if we're there, we're going to make it unholy. And, and the, the bigness of that spoke to me and it jumped out of me. Because even though we're there, God's life, God's power inside of us isn't just a label that we attach to the end of our bio or at the beginning of our bio or whatever. It's not just a title that we put on ourselves. It's God's power living inside of us to walk away from sin, to run away from our old life, and to run toward the identity that he has for us. It will be a holy place. And it will be a holy place because God has made us holy. We aren't the ones who make ourselves holy. It's not a holy place because of what we do. Because for all of us in our lives, what we do is we bring in spiritual and physical dirt. I've got three kids, and so I've learned one thing over the past little while Um, it's that clean house is not a state of cleanliness, it is a time period. Clean house is a time period. At some points, it's about five minutes long. We had clean house today. It lasted between 6.05 and 6.10. It was amazing. And then people started waking up, and all of a sudden, clean house was no longer, I mean, it was over. And then it was into the six days and 23 hours and 45 minutes of dirty house. And that's how it goes. But with clean house, the house isn't just going to clean itself. Somebody's going to come in. Somebody's going to start the clock for the clean house process to begin. And what God says is I'm going to be the one who comes in. You can't clean yourself and that is okay because God's going to come in and God's going to do it. Back to Galatians. It says, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. That means our identity is bought and brought in by the Spirit. It's not who we are. It's what God does through us to remind us of who he is and how that should impact you and me. And he continues, he says, so let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. The book of Obadiah, this little book with a big meaning that we're talking about, starts with one group of people who t- basically turned around and walked away when this group that lived right next to them was getting ransacked. And so what Obadiah is saying and what Paul is saying in this, the Galatians book after Jesus He's saying what happened, what your problem was, is you didn't do good to other people. You didn't do good to other people around you. Part of the reason that we love life groups is because it's our opportunity to do good to each other. For us to come along each other and defeat sin, to remind us of who we are as sons and daughters, is is to give us people that we can chase after Jesus with. And so the whole point of Obadiah is that didn't happen. You didn't love people the way that God created us to love people and watch out for people. I had a conversation with a friend of mine a few weeks ago that that really stuck to me and it's like one of those things that you, you know some conversations you don't remember anything from them and some of them you're like man that 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 sticks with me. This one stuck with me. Uh, when God called me into ministry it wasn't because he said, "Okay, Ken, I want you to explain the Bible to every person that you meet forever." It was God, "I want you, was, Ken, I want you to explain my love for people." to everyone. The Bible is totally foundational. We build everything on this. But the phrase that God used to get my heart was, you need to tell hurting people about me forever. And so what my friend said to me is, when you do ministry, when you're speaking, when you're doing life, you just look angry. I'm like, dang. So we've gone from help hurting people to angry. That's not living out God's love. That's not looking out for each other and being someone that people can rally around to chase Jesus with. And it was a real reality check for me that for me to live out what God has for me doesn't mean getting angry. It means living in peace, living uh, as somebody who lets God's light shine through them. And when that happens, God's love rebuilds our brokenness. My friend Edgar is going to come up right now. Edgar lives, re, leads Regen, and what that is is it's our church's recovery program. It's for anyone who wants any type of freedom from sin, which would be everyone with a pulse. Uh, and Edgar leads Regen at uh, Mountain View, which means it also extends to Mountain View Sunnyside. Uh, and it's one of the groups you can sign up for as you walk straight out uh, as our rebuilding group. And he's going to share with us a little bit about Regen right now.
2: Hello. I really love that verse that Pastor Ken's talking about uh, that says this, but Jerusalem will become a refuge for those who escape. It will be a holy place, and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. I've been in recovery for for quite a long time. I've been helping with recovery for a, a number of years, and I often hear that when people come to recovery for the first time. I'm here because my brother made me come, or my brother came with me. I'm here because my spouse made me come, because my wife made me come, my husband made me come. And when they say that on that first night, I hear them saying, I'm here because I need to escape. I need to escape the destruction that is happening in my life, and often that destruction is caused by ourselves. 18 years ago, I walked into recovery and I said just that I'm here because my wife wants me to come. You see, I I was hurting, and I was broken, and in that brokenness, I began to act out in ways that were very destructive and do things that were very painful. I caused a lot of pain to the people I love. And I began to live in that cycle of addiction. And like many, I made promises, and I broke them, and like many, I began to try new things that never worked out, and I just continued in the cycle of addiction. When I walked into recovery, one of the first things I realized is that I needed help. I needed to admit. We know that that's step one, the 12-step program. But it's not just admitting that we have a problem. It's admitting that I need a Savior. It's admitting that the only way I can recover, the only way I can restore my life is through Jesus Christ because he paid the price to break away that sin and to heal my broken heart. That's what I needed is I needed that. See, God wants to do more than just fix our issue. God wants to give us a new life. In regeneration that's what we say. Hi, my name is Edgar. And I have a new life in Christ and I'm recovering from a sin of pornography and the an addiction of pornography. But that's not who I am. Who I am right now is a new son and a new daughter in Christ. That's who I am. I know two things. Number 1, I know God is good. God's good. God loves you. God wants nothing more than you to enjoy forgiveness and to enjoy freedom and God is not The reason for your dysfunction and your hurt and your pain, that's not God's fault. Many times it's our own. Here's the other thing I know is that Satan's bad. And sin, man, it destroys. Sin takes us farther than we want to go, keeps us there longer than we want to stay, and costs us more than we want to pay. Sin is destructive. And sin's nature is to keep things secret and to keep things hidden. And the only thing we can do is to expose that sin and expose those lies under the grace and under the truth of who God really is. That's a hard thing to do. See, that's what we learn in regeneration is that there is truth. And when I take that truth and I expose it to God's light, then I understand why that happened. And I understand a way out. There's a lot of reasons why people come to regeneration. It's addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to gambling, to pornography. It's emotional hurts to anger or to envy to jealousy, to greed. It's pain from the loss and divorce or the loss of a loved one. But in regeneration, when we expose that sin to God's truth, God shows us a way out. It's that light that shows us a way out. I know this. I know exposing that sin is hard. Ephesians 5 11 says this. It says, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, but instead expose them. Exposing is difficult. It's humiliating, it's embarrassing, it's humbling, but it's full of grace, and it's full of hope, and in regeneration, that is exactly what's going to happen. There's going to be grace in our hurt, and there's going to be hope in our pain, and I'll be able to see not where I'm at right now, but where I will be because of who Christ is. I'm going to read to you one more verse. It's found in Colossians 3, 5 through 10. It says this, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, to, with impurity, with lust or evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You instead used to do these things when your life was in still part of the world, but now it is time to get rid of anger and rage and malice and behavior and slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like Jesus. Put on your new nature. I know that life hurts. I know that things just struggle and get us down. And often we go to a lot of good people. and We go to friends and we go to brothers and we go to sisters and we go to people in our family. But the truth is, The only person that can help us, the only program that can help us is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save us and restore us and break that bondage of sin. I'm going to say this, and I hope it's not offenses. Sometimes when we go and just talk to people and think that I can find help from good people, that's like going shopping at Goodwill. I put on all these old hand-me-downs. See, the passage that I just read, it says, put on your new nature. As as the prodigal was coming back to his dad, that's all he had on was just old rags. And for him, he thought, man, this is all I deserve. Because you don't know the pain I've caused. You don't know the hurt I've caused. This is all I deserved. And the father says, no, son, the first words out of his mouth, get the finest robe, the finest robe. And we think, man, I, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve those fancy clothes. I don't deserve that good stuff. I don't deserve that. But the father says, no, the finest clothes, that's what I want you to wear. And regeneration, that's what we learn. We learn to put on the finest thing that God wants us to have and to live in that truth that we are a new creation, that I have a new life in Christ. Here's what God wants for you. God wants for you to reclaim your inheritance. And if you are hurting, if you are struggling, regeneration is a place for you to be. Thank you.
0: Edgar's a great leader of men, uh, he's a great leader of people, and he's somebody who loves God and loves serving God. Uh, when our oldest was really little, she didn't sleep and didn't eat and cried for forever, uh, so we called Edgar and his wife over to come and pray for Anna, pray for Eden. Uh, Edgar and I prayed for the crib, that it would be a place where uh, Eden would sleep, and I remember uh, Anna and his wife Liz were in one room, and he said, so it's, it's really hard on Anna that the baby doesn't sleep. I'm like, yeah, it's really hard for her that she doesn't get any sleep, I'm like, yeah. And it's like that moment where the hammer drops, and he said, never let your wife get up to get the kid in the middle of the night, ever. So I said, yes, sir. And thus began the period of me getting all the kids all the time, uh, because I didn't want to find Edgar in a dark alley one night. Uh, But everything he's saying is true. Uh, God is a God of the rebuild. God is a God of restoration, of giving us a new identity. Uh, Obadiah 17, it ends with saying, and the people of Israel will come back to reclaim their inheritance. And that happens as we expose sin, that happens as as we rebuild, and that's gonna happen in regeneration. And finally, God's transforming power lives in us as we humbly surrender our lives to his restoration. The book of Obadiah ends with a simple phrase that that for all of us, we spend the rest of our lives applying and interpreting and, and fleshing out in various situations And it says, and the Lord himself will be king. Out of all these things happening, God is going to be king. And for all of us, the question for us every single day, as we look at rebuilding, as we look at who's going to be in charge of the rebuilding, is who's going to be king over you and me? Who's going to be our king? Because if we run our lives with letting Jesus be in charge, everything will always be a rebuilding because you and I will never make it to the point where everything is perfect in us, and that is good. That is good because we love a God. We are loved by a God who, like we're going to sing in a little bit, loves us too much to leave us here, that sees everything in us, that that fights against ourselves, that fights against God, that fights against the people around us and hurts us, hurts God, hurts the people that we love most. And God says, I love them too much to let them stay here. We are going to be rebuilding forever. And the benefit of that, the blessing of that, is that out of you and me, where we have harvested sin and we deserve death, instead we harvest love, we harvest joy, we harvest peace, we harvest patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Because God loves us too much to let us stay here. He's saying this rebuilding process will never end, and that's a good thing. We put ourselves in charge, and one day we, we will end. And we'll say, all right, I'm good, I'm here. And we'll never love ourselves the way that God will. We will never lead ourselves as good as God can. And we'll never find the peace that we would find from God. And so it's the the question, who's going to be king? As we look at the everlasting need in our lives for rebuilding, we're going to put God in charge and live in humility and see growth happen. Or are we going to continue to put ourselves in charge and say, I'm good? It's good. I've got nothing to chase except for my own things. And we're going to miss out on a ton of blessings from God on a lifetime of living under the blessing of Jesus. Let's stand and let's pray.